Happy New Year. If your New Year's resolution was to come to church every Sunday this year, congratulations. You're off to a great start. <laughs> For the rest of you who are watching this online, uh, here's great news. Our resolutions have nothing to do with our standing with Jesus. Our hope is that he is resolute in the rescue of us. Isn't that good news? So have that piece of cake today. I'm just kidding. Do, do what you need to do to take care of yourself. New Year's resolutions are good. Uh, we're we're going to jump right into the text this morning. So I'm going to encourage you, please grab your Bible. If you don't have one, there should be one underneath the seat in front of you. And let's begin our year off strong by holding our Bibles up and declaring with some confidence what we believe about this book together. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Well done. Hey, one on the screen and you did it. Good job. Turn to Galatians chapter four. Galatians chapter four, page 915. I think uh, if you're using one of those Bibles from the seat in front of you. We've been walking through Galatians chapter 4 for our Advent series. And the the way, if you didn't grow up in a church that observed kind of the the Sundays of Advent, the way that works is the the Sunday after Christmas is is typically the final Sunday of Advent. And I think it's just amazing that that happens to fall on New Year's Day. Because the traditional observance of Advent is that the, the Sunday after Christmas is the Sunday where the focus is on hope. And what a beautiful idea to gather around to start a new year. Unshakable hope that's found in the person of Jesus. The word Advent just means arriving or coming. And and so Christmas is we focus on uh, the waiting on his first arrival, his first Advent. And then the Sunday after Christmas is the celebration that he has advented and we are waiting for him to advent again, that we are awaiting his second coming. We move forward with hope, believing that as sure as he was born the first time, he's coming back again, not as a baby, but as a king. And we await for him to come because this time he's not coming to submit to the brokenness of the world. He is coming to end it. He's coming to make right everything that is wrong. And that is an unshakable hope. And we see that hope in our Advent text here in Galatians chapter number four. Verse four says, for when the fullness of time had come at the perfect season, the perfect season spiritually, the perfect season politically and culturally and prophetically, God governs every moment and every minute of all of history, which means we have a lot of hope that that'll be true in 2023 as well. Every moment is on purpose at the perfect time. God sent forth the perfect person, his son, fully God And fully man, born of woman, born under the law, born under that demand to have it all together and to be perfect. And he's the first one who was ever born under the law, who lived above the law. And he did so for the perfect reason. So that we might be redeemed, purchased, 
bought from the bondage of the law. That he might redeem those who were under the law. What could be better than that? So that we might receive adoption. What could be better than that? As sons. He did so on the perfect tree. And now this morning we transition a couple verses further in the text as we talk about not the perfect season or the perfect person or the perfect reason, but the perfect hope. Verse number six says, because your sons, God has sent the spirit of his capital S son into our hearts, crying, Abba, father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son hears the language of hope, an heir, an heir through God. Five real quick observations about what it means that you're an heir as we walk into 2023. They all happen to start with the same letter. I hardly ever do that, so I'm kind of proud of it this morning. Uh, so those of you who are like old school note takers, this is right up your alley today. Uh, a little excited that it kind of worked out this way. The only one that's a little bit of a stretch is the first one. Um, so we're going to talk about the perfect hope today. And here's the thing, the first thing I want to say. The, the perfect hope produces faith. I really wanted to say the word confidence there, but all the other points start with the letter F. And so we changed confidence to faith uh, just for the alliteration's sake. The idea of being an heir produces a confidence that you trust something better is coming. If you can't think of that in spiritual terms, I would encourage you to think of this. Think of the headlines the stories that have gone viral about trust fund kids living like crazy people, right? They spent how much? They torched a hotel room. They did what? This is crazy. These trust fund kids are living so reckless because they have great confidence that there's going to be plenty to take care of whatever they spend. That's the language of faith. We trust that our inheritance is secure. Here's the thing about being an heir. It's actually not all that secure in a human existence. The market can tank. An investment can blow up. We can have world war. There can be a pandemic, right? Inheritances can move all over the map unless our inheritance is in another kingdom that isn't affected by the ups and downs of this kingdom. Unless our inheritance is governed by a heavenly father who's perfect, who never has a whim, who never has a crazy idea that's going to tank his investments. We have this security as the heirs of God that we can't outspend our trust fund. Now, I don't actually mean that financially. For some of you, your New Year's resolution needs to be to spend a little less, right? I'm not talking about financial spending. I'm talking about living with confidence, trusting that he will never run short on supply of whatever it is that we need. Amen? Like he's never going to be running short of whatever it is that you need. That's the confidence that we step into this, this sonship with this heir idea that our inheritance is secure. 
We live with confidence in the future because we have seen a pattern of a God who's trustworthy. (laughs) So why would we not trust him now? About a month or so ago, I guess the end of November, I was at Lance's graduation from Grimke Seminary up in Virginia. And during the graduation festivities at the seminary, they also had a pastor's conference going on. And uh, I was speaking at a pastor's retreat early in the week, and so I didn't get to be there for all of it. But I was able to be there for the tail end. And specifically, I was able to hear one of the guys that, that I have the highest respect for today in the church world, Dr. Brian Loritz. And he, he told a story about his family that I never knew about him. Uh, he is one of four children in his family. He has three siblings. Uh, two of his siblings are biological siblings and one is an adopted sibling. He told a story about, uh, he's from Atlanta. He lives in North Carolina, but he's from Atlanta. He told a story about recently his father took him to lunch there in Atlanta and said, hey, I want to discuss some changes that I've made in the will. And he, he was like, okay, well, I know I'm secure. I'm good, whatever. And he said, actually, I learned something about it. You're not as secure in the will as you think you are. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, I learned according to Georgia state law, I can do anything with my will, including completely removing you. And you can't do anything about it. And I don't even have to notify you. And Dr. Loret said, so what are we having lunch for? What are we doing? What, what, where's this going? He said, but I learned something else that was interesting. He said, according to Georgia state law, I cannot remove your adopted sibling from the will. They are protected by state law to make sure (laughs) that their status as a child can never be diminished. Make no mistake, our adoption as sons is not less secure than biological sonship. It is more secure in Jesus. Isn't that good? Like this, this idea that somehow we might be more vulnerable because we're adopted. No, there's more protection in adoption. And I believe that's how it is in the kingdom of God too. You have an inheritance that hell itself can't take from you. How would we live with confidence if we lived like heirs of God? Isn't that nuts? Right? When I die, my kids aren't getting nothing. Heirs of God? Whoa! How's that? Try that on for trust fund, baby. There's a confidence, there's a faith in which we move forward as the heirs of God. That is hope. The perfect hope produces faith. And here's the second thing I want you to see. The perfect hope produces freedom. Because we talk about what we are. We're an heir. We're a son. Let's park for just a moment on what we're not. You are no longer a slave. To what? To anything. (laughs) Either somebody didn't hear that or you don't know how good a news that is. You're not a slave to anything if you are a child of the living God. So this perfect hope produces freedom, but I don't mean this hope sets you free. The death and resurrection of Jesus set you free. The hope gives you a life that looks free. 
feels free, smells free, walks free. That the hope determines the way we live. That, that's why we've already looked at this verse, but uh, chapter 5, verse number 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. I know school hasn't started back yet, but let me just tell you that's past tense. The freedom is done. Stand, that's present tense. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again, that's future tense, to a yoke of slavery because of what's done today and tomorrow doesn't have to be marked by bondage. I don't have to live in slavery anymore. Now, the reality of living as a broken person with broken people in a broken world is sometimes life feels very stuck. Sometimes there is stuff in our life that we feel very bound by. Sometimes it's an addiction to something or a struggle with something or a lack of today's focus, hope in an area. And we say, man, I just feel stuck. And what I want to do this New Year's Day is speak against that feeling. That feeling is a lie if you are a child of God. You're not stuck. You have already been set free. What if, what if 2023 wasn't the year of the new you? What if 2023 was just a year you walked a little bit more like who you already are in Jesus? Like what if, what if the, the New Year's list that nobody else has seen because you don't want anybody to find it that says, I wish I could stop blank. What if this was the year you invited somebody else in to, to speak into your life to help you believe a little bit more who you already are? Maybe you need some counseling, some accountability to, to experience that freedom. But understand that the counseling and the accountability isn't to help you be a better you. It's to help you live like you. You're free. You're no longer a slave. To what? To anything. And so we, we fight from this position of victory. I love that it was not intentional. I, I, he didn't know what I was talking about today. I love that the first song Trevor had us sing together this morning talked about this, this God who's already won the battles. Like he's already conquered this. I, I've never thought of this before, and I, I don't know if it's um, just because New Year's Day fell on a Sunday, my perspective was different or something. But for those of you who read the Bible uh, through in a year, I've never noticed before, I've been doing that for, for years, the interesting reality hit me this year that I was ending 2022 reading the last book of the Bible. Let me say it this way. It was pretty cool the day before New Year's Eve to read the future glimpse of the enemy being bound and finally cast away. <laughs> the idea of walking into a new year with the fresh reminder, the victory's already been accomplished. <laughs> We're already victorious in Jesus Christ. And I, that was so fresh on my heart from the text. And then Shane and Shane are, are Christian musicians that have meant a lot to me throughout my spiritual journey. And they released a new song. They, they dropped a new uh, song uh, two days ago. That, that just spoke to this idea in such a beautiful way. Uh, it's, it's called You've Already Won. 
If you haven't, don't, don't Google it right now. Uh, but it's just incredible. And there's a couple lyrics I want you to hear. I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. <laughs> and whatever I'm fighting, you've already won. Do you realize we're not actually walking into battles in 2023? It feels like a battle. It looks like a battle. Man, it hurts like a battle. It's actually already been accomplished by Jesus. It's already been finished. It's already been won. That's the reality of this hope that's in Jesus. And so we fight from a position of victory. We're not slaves anymore. The perfect hope produces faith. The perfect hope produces freedom The perfect hope produces fight. Man, my heart's heavy for this idea. I believe that the people of God need some fresh hope that produces some fresh fight. Life is hard and life is disappointing, but way too many of us are speaking the language of defeat. Way too many of us are speaking the language of complaint. Now, we need to be honest. We need to talk about the hurts that that we have. We need to be able to to be free to express those. I'm not saying we need to become emotionally constipated as a church. However, can we speak the pain and follow it up with, and that's not the end of the story? This language of we've been redeemed and adopted and we're sons, therefore we have an inheritance. The Apostle Paul is saying that here to the church at Galatia. He said the same thing to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 8, which theologians call the greatest chapter of the Bible, right? Romans chapter 8, the same idea appears. Verse 14 says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Again, that beautiful confrontation of the sexism of the day. Everybody gets the status of a son. So beautiful. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Again, that, that confidence of faith, that, that freedom that's purchased for us in our sonship. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, here's the language, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. How cool is that? Our name is on the same will as him. Crazy. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And I want to be careful. The the provided in the English language, almost sounds like Jesus says you have to suffer in order to receive glory. And don't mistake the theology of that. No, no, no. He had to suffer so that you could receive glory. But he leaves you in a world that is marked by suffering. And the theology of the gospel always teaches that glory is only found on the other side of suffering in a broken world. And so many of us want our glory today. And the reality is, as long as we live in this world, there's going to be suffering. My heart hurts as a pastor when I read some of the things people say going into New Year. Because it's not hope, it's blindness. It's This is going to be the perfect year, nothing's going to go wrong. And this piece of me is like, oh, 
that's not how you brace for a fight. Like instead of going in the new year, eh, what if we went in the new year? <laughs> right? Like I don't know what's coming. I just know who's going before me. Uh, and I, I, I'm going to face difficulty because I believe glory's on the other side of the difficulty. And here's the thing about the glory. Here's how glorious the glory is. <laughs> I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Some of us are busy comparing our suffering to somebody else's suffering. And this morning I want to encourage you, why don't we start comparing our suffering to the glory that's revealed in Jesus Christ? Like that's the perspective that produces some hope that we walk into difficulty. It just doesn't defeat us. It just doesn't define us. Like I believe the world is looking at the people of God saying, do you have any more hope for tomorrow than I do? Where's the fight? Where's the, where's the hope that produces perseverance and suffering? That's what we were saved for. A couple verses later, verse 24, it says, In this hope we were saved. We were saved in a hope that expects suffering and believes it won't be the end of the story. That's not a pessimistic view of life. That's a realistic, hopeful view of life that says this year won't be perfect because I'm not perfect. I'm surrounded by people who aren't perfect. I'm in a world that is not perfect. And yet I have a perfect hope. That is the victory that's found in Jesus. It produces a hope that endures. The perfect hope produces faith, produces freedom, and it produces some fight. Here's the next thing that, that I want us to, to see this hope. And, and it's a word that we've read past every week through Advent. And it's a word we've read past so quickly we might not have even noticed it. It's only two letters. The perfect hope produces family. This hope of being an heir, we are not only child children. <laughs> We're a part of a family. In Galatians chapter 4, verse number 5, when it talks about this adoption that gives us the inheritance, there's this little word, we. We, we think of adoption as such a personal thing, and it's meant to think, Abba, that is a personal and intimate word, right? But it's also communal. That's why it's so fitting that on, on New Year's Day, we would come together to the Lord's table to take communion. It's communal. We're not in this thing alone. The hope is that we have an inheritance that is secure. When we look at this father, he's not my father. He's our father. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, the first word of the prayer was our, not my, our father who is in heaven. This is a, this is a group activity. This is a family inheritance. For some of us, we want to experience so much of what Jesus has for us in isolation, and we don't understand why it won't work. We experience the glory of the inheritance in Christ together with the people of God, which is inconvenient, quite frankly, because people are just people. 
perfect. <laughs> like, it'd be a whole lot more convenient if we could just experience all the glory of God without his kids. But then we'd be left out in the cold too, friend. So let's just come together with the people of God. One, one pastor pointed out that little word we because I also read this text 5,000 times in preparation for this series and never saw it. I was just looking at what God had done for me. I missed the we too. And I'm reading this, this guy and he, he talked about how this adoption from Abba changes our view of life. He said this, not only does our view of God define how we view our relationship with him, but our relationship with God also then becomes a template for all our other relationships too. (laughs) See, if I'm not a slave anymore, I'm a son with an inheritance that's secure, then it changes the way I relate to my spouse and my friends, the way I approach dating or the way that I approach employment or the way that I approach my finances, the way I approach my kids. I don't need to take anything from them. And I don't think they're trying to take anything. I'm secure. And so I can just do life with broken people and love them where they are. The perfect hope produces family. And then lastly, the perfect hope produces feasting. This, This act of remembrance that the body of Christ has done for 2,000 years together of Remembering his body being broken for us. His blood being willingly shed for us. Is a feast of hope. The Apostle Paul told the church at Corinth about this thing called communion. As often as you drink, as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, until the second advent. (laughs) We come together to remember the hope of our inheritance until we receive our inheritance. Do you know what communion is? It's reading the will before the person has deceased. It's it's a pre- glimpse of the inheritance that is to come. That in a world that's marked with suffering, we are so prone to forget. And that's why we desperately need a moment to remember our hope until he comes, until we receive our inheritance as heirs. One last thought before we transition to communion together. Some of you might have seen a story that went viral um, just a couple weeks ago. As we've been in our Advent series, a story went viral from our old stomping ground. So maybe that's why I paid attention to it. But northeast coast of Florida in St. Augustine, uh, there's the historic fort there that you can go and visit today. It's incredibly preserved because of the material they used to build it. There's a couple from Florida who actually got married in North Carolina because that's where family lived, but they're from Florida. So after the wedding, they hired a photographer, went to the fort in St. Augustine to take their wedding photos. 
And as the photographer is taking their pictures, the photographer gasps and goes, oh, when she takes a picture. If we can put up that first picture, she notices above the groom's shoulder that a rocket has launched nearby. You talk about a photobomb. That is a three-digit millions of dollars photobomb for their wedding pictures. That's the SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket. I have no idea what that means, but I looked it up. Because I was curious how much that photobomb cost. And, and I saw it, I thought, man, that, that's hilarious. That's an expensive photobomb. And then I had this thought. Actually, this has been my prayer for the last three and a half weeks for you. I've been praying that God might photobomb your new year with hope. It cost him the life of his son. It was expensive. But I'm praying he might just show up and explode some hope into your life. The cool thing about this picture is the photographer zoomed out and kept snapping. I want you to put up the second picture because when the photographer went, oh, they turned to see it, right? That's a picture of communion. We turn our attention together and look at the source of our hope. We together remember the cost of the cross so that we can step into whatever tomorrow holds with confidence that's found in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Communion is a staged photobomb for hope.